kudos to the state of Michigan uh, for putting the money in to redo the bathrooms and at $35 a night with that massive price leap to $38 on the weekend, (laughs) which is almost comical because like for private campgrounds, the dynamic pricing drives everybody crazy because the price can double on the weekends. The Mm -hmm. price can triple on the weekends, as crazy as that sounds. So it's it's so funny when the state parks are like, well, we'll we'll charge $3 more on Saturday night. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the authors of Where Should We Camp Next? And Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks. This season, we are back with a brand new RV and brand new adventures. Join us now as we cover the best campgrounds, the best rigs, the best food, and the best gear to bring with you when you go. So pull up a chair and join us around the digital campfire. This is the RV Atlas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the RV Atlas. Today, we are coming at you with a great campground review of the campground at Van Buren State Park in South Haven, Michigan. This is an incredible state park, a really good campground, and one of the most beautiful parts of the great state of Michigan. And we have a very special guest giving us this great review. Uh, her name is Anna Michaels, and she just happens to be our editor at Sourcebook. She has been the editor for all of our Where Should We Camp Next books and for See You at the Campground. So she is definitely part of the RV Atlas family, and this is going to be her first time on the show today. So she's going to tell us what we need to know about the campground. She's also going to give us a lot of great information on two nearby towns that are really, really awesome, and that would be South Haven and St. Joseph. So we're super excited to have Anna on the show. We're going to dive right back in in a second and welcome her onto the RV Atlas for the very first time. But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Omnia Sweden. The Omnia is a portable stovetop oven that is lightweight, affordable, easy to use, and perfect for your next camping trip. Just pop it on your RV stove, your camp stove, or another heat source, and you will have an instant oven that can make all kinds of delicious food at the campground. If you can do it in a regular oven, heat, bake, or cook, you can do it in an Omnia. The Omnia requires no installation and works with a variety of heat sources to provide a convenient, versatile way to prepare your favorite foods like breads, pizzas, calzones, quiches, muffins, cinnamon rolls, brownies, cakes, and so much more. The Omnia stovetop oven is also the perfect gift for the campers on your list this holiday season. To learn more about the Omnia and to find great cooking tips and recipes, make sure you visit OmniaSweden.com. And to purchase your own Omnia stovetop oven and great accessories, head on over to BuyOmniaUS.com or Amazon.com. Give the gift of delicious food in the great outdoors this holiday season with Omnia. Hello, Anna Michaels, and welcome to the RV Atlas for the very first time. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited that you have been our editor for many years now. You are the ideal editor uh, because you're also a camper. It's like a, a match made in heaven between you and these these books that Stephanie and I have been doing. And uh, I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Um it's your first time on the show. So yes. tell our audience just a little bit about you, where you're from, where you camp, how you camp, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So, um, yes, my name is Anna Michaels. I am Stephanie and Jeremy's editor at Sourcebooks. We've published several books together and it's been a great journey. Um, I am a Midwestern girl, uh, born and raised in the Chicago suburbs, which is where I still live. And just because of that location, camp fairly frequently in the Midwest. Um, we've got some some good campgrounds in Illinois. I frequently travel over it to Indiana and up into Wisconsin and Michigan. Um, but my family and I, and my family is me and my husband and our two children who are six and three, um, we also love a road trip. And so we'll go out west. We've been out to Glacier. We've been out to Colorado a couple times recently. Um, and I've even camped internationally. I took a solo camping trip to Iceland in 2021. So I am um, an all-inclusive camper. I'll go anywhere. I'm always looking for, you know, a fabulous place to camp. And your books have certainly helped me um, narrow down on some destinations in recent years. So that's been a fun um, personal and professional relationship to have. 
And you're, I mean, you are a very dedicated tent camper who has done tons and tons of car camping, but also backpacking. I mean, you, you, you have like legitimate experience in both of those categories, right? Yeah, definitely started out car camping and I did not grow up camping. My parents were not campers. Um, the first real camping trip I ever went on was kind of a two day, two day canoe trip that I went on, um, with some girls from my summer camp in that context. And, I loved it. And so when I, you know, got to be an adult and got out of college, um, I was like, okay, soon to be husband of mine. You've never camped in your life either, but we're going to get all this gear and we're going to start taking road trips. And luckily he was on board and liked it. Um, And in the past few years, I've also, yeah, done a little bit of backpacking because I think that there are just some places that, you know, you can't get to with a car you can't get to with an rv and so i'm i'm ready and willing to go light to get to those fantastic destinations places like isle royale exactly correct (laughs) which you did what like two years ago now you did that as a as a backpacking trip obviously i think that was last summer that i went up there Mm -hmm. yep that would make a good podcast too i'm ready Um, so i I, you know i'm not from the midwest obviously i've spent a lot of time in the midwest and I'm, i'm very always very interested in like what camping culture is like in different parts of the country i feel like midwesterners and and please correct me if i'm wrong i feel like midwesterners are like really serious about camping like really intense about camping love camping and i feel like the midwest is a pretty darn underrated location for for camping. I mean, you particularly where you are, um, you can get into Wyoming quickly, you can get into Michigan quickly. There are all kinds of of great places for you to camp in the Midwest, right? Definitely. Yeah. And I think especially for family camping, because so much of our camping is so accessible to these major population areas. I mean, Chicago, St. Louis, Madison, these big, big cities, um, you don't have to go very far. And that makes it easy for, you know, families with little kids who don't want to sit in a car for six or seven or eight hours to get where they're going. Um, we've been really lucky to meet up in our neighborhood with a group of families who like to camp. And so we'll all go together and everybody has kids. And every year the discussion is, okay, where are we going to go? Are we going to go to a campground we've been to before? Are we going to try something new? And there's just, you know, even within our sort of self-imposed restriction of a three-hour driving radius because of all the little kids in the group, there's there's just so many options to choose from. It's always a, a big debate every year where we're going to go. I remember seeing your pictures from your your group tent camping trip. And, you know, I did one of those too this summer with some of Max and Theo's dads, uh, the, their friends and their dads. And I think tent camping, that that's a real bonus to tent camping is it's easier to go with a large group because everybody can go grab a tent or borrow a tent. Where like for us RV owners, not all of our friends' families have RVs. So I, I give that as like a kind of a bonus to the tent camping. Do you think you'll ever be an RV owner? You know, this is a question I ask myself often. I go back and forth on the RV question. Obviously, like RVs are lovely. It looks like a great experience. Um, I have a vehicle that could tow a small RV. Like that's not an issue. But I like to do so many different types of trips, just like your family. I like to get on a plane. I like to travel internationally. And knowing myself, I worry that I would get sort of hung up in that feeling that once you spend the money on an RV, then you have to use it all the time. I don't know if I'd be able to get over that. And we don't have a great storage solution either. So the thought of paying for RV storage at this point, you know, kind of makes me cringe. But um, check back in a couple decades when I feel don't feel like sleeping on the ground anymore. And um, I could definitely see my husband and I getting into RVing, you know, a little bit later in life once our kids are older. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we proposed or pitched our first book to you, hadn't you just been on an RV rental trip? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. So this was when my, my daughter was about a year and a half and we rented an RV, um, a class A with two other families who didn't have children. You know, we, so we set up this whole big road trip out to Niagara Falls and then up into Canada and our friends went along with us and our toddler. Um, and it was a crazy trip. We could have a whole podcast about that trip, honestly, but um, I got some good experience through that rental RV. And I saw that really RVing isn't any less work than tent camping. It's just different work, right? And I think that was a good lesson to learn because having an RV doesn't solve all your problems. It doesn't allow you to just like roll out on these magical vacations and not do any of the legwork. It's just kind of a different flavor. 
I agree with that statement entirely. So just like a like little backstory here, you come back from that trip and then this like proposal from Jeremy and Stephanie Puglisi uh, who want to write camping books like lands on your desk and like, and the rest is history. So you're going to give us a great campground review today. Now, obviously yes. you're, you're a tent camper, but this is also a great campground for RVs and you're, mm-hmm. we're, we'll get into that. So those of you listening who are like, well, I don't tent camp. This review is super, super relevant um, to, to everybody listening, no matter how you camp. So where are you taking us today? What is the name of this place and where is it located? So I'm going to take us um, around the southern shore of Lake Michigan to Van Buren State Park in South Haven, Michigan. Um, this is a really fantastic destination for many people in the Midwest. It is about two and a half hours from the western Chicago suburbs, about two hours driving distance from the city of Chicago, three hours from Detroit, um, very accessible. And um, it's a, a park that's about 400 acres and has within the state park, which the campground is attached to, a mile of really beautiful sandy beach. Um, there's a high dune formation that you can climb up to and look out and get those beautiful lake views that everybody loves um, in Michigan. And it's really, um, it's it's in the, the South Haven um, city boundary. And South Haven is just one of those wonderful, like touristy lake Michigan, Michigan towns. It's super fun to explore. We've been saying for years that we consider Michigan to be one of the most underrated destinations for RV travel in the country. It's a, it's a beautiful state for for camping. Th- this is a very popular state park, correct? Partly because it's awesome, partly because it's close to the cities you just located, right? I mean, is it really challenging just to book a site here? So we booked at the six-month window. That's the the Michigan State Park um, booking window right now. And because this was the the trip we did this summer with that big group of families I mentioned before, so I think we went with five other families. And, you know, there was a group text, and everybody got on at 9 a.m. the day of the reservations opening because we all wanted to book sites next to each other. So we had to sort of coordinate um, and, and knock that out. I think that if you're looking at sort of peak Midwest camping season, June to September, um, because of, you know, the popularity of camping right now, you're going to be want to get getting in those reservations as close as you can to the booking window opening. So you can get the dates and the sites that are going to work best for you. But you did, you were able to get the sites together? Yes. Yep. Okay. It worked out great. I, I love to hear that because there's just so much complaining about, oh, we can't get sites at the most popular places. Everything's sold out. I mean, I do like to hear that if you make the effort to get, you know, to get to the website when the booking window opens, it is possible. Definitely. Um, definitely. So, so anything else broadly about Van Buren State Park before we talk about the beach and the campground, or do you want to move on to those two things? I think we can move on. So talk to us about the beach. So what's that? I mean, I'm from New Jersey. The beach here is quite different. And when I was a younger, more arrogant man, I used to say that there is no beach in the Midwest. And now I, I very much apologize for ever thinking that. You have beautiful beaches in the Midwest. So what's the beach like there? Because obviously it's possibly the main attraction. Definitely. So when you come into the state park, um, there's the day use area, which is where people who aren't camping can come in and park and go to the beach. And then there's also a road that leads to the campground. You can walk to the beach from the campground. Um, I don't know if you would actually want to, like carrying all your beach stuff. I went for, you know, you could go for a run or a walk out on the beach, no problem. Um, But if you're hauling chairs and toys and blankets and all that kind of stuff, you're probably going to want to drive your car the short distance from your site into the day use parking area and just park there. Um, Michigan does require like a sticker to get into their park. So you'll have the sticker on your car and you can just park in the day use area. And then you walk onto the beach and there is um, the main part of the beach. And then there's also a posted dog friendly beach that's a little bit farther down. So if you're traveling with your dog, you can certainly go down there and enjoy a great time with them, which is always nice to see. Um, But the beach stretch within the state park is about one mile long, beautiful you know, sandy Michigan beach with that really fine sand that is wonderful to relax on, wonderful for the kids to dig in and play in. Um, the Once you get into the water on the beach at the state park, there are rocks. So I would really recommend that folks wear water shoes or Crocs or something that's going to stay on your foot if you want to spend a lot of time in the water because bare feet are not ideal um, at this particular beach once you get in there. But the, the shore itself is sandy. 
And and water temps are reasonable in the summer, correct? For those not familiar with sort of Great Lakes type of camping and swimming, I mean, I, I would imagine it's pretty comfortable to go for a swim in the summer months. Definitely, if you're aiming for swimming, July and August are going to be um, your best bets. The lake can still be pretty cold in June because it takes a while for it to warm up after the winter. But um, some of the kids in our group were out in the water for hours when we were there in July. It was very nice. Now, I know you've done other Michigan State Parks. The Michigan State Park system, just even just going to the, the websites and looking through the campgrounds and kind of getting yourself situated, it seems like they take great pride in the state parks. They take great pride in the campgrounds, um, that, that, that they're modern, that they're investing in them. Would, would you agree with that overall, that this is truly a, a great state park system and this isn't just an outlier in the system? Absolutely. I think that you're going to find that the facilities at Michigan State Parks aren't fancy. You know, there's not going to be anything that blows your mind in terms of amenities or unusual things, but everything is really well cared for and really functional, you know, for people who just want to go out and do sort of that very classic Midwestern camping. Um, They've got everything that you need. I, I mean, I hate to say this, but I've said it before on the podcast and I'll say it again. New Jersey state park system does not excite me for camping. I won't belabor that point. Uh, but when I look at like the state park systems in places like Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, I- I'm, I'm always impressed. So let- let's get into the-, the campground here. So what is the campground like? How much does it cost? Give us some of the basic details for camping here. Definitely. So there's five loops when you get into the campground, and that's um, about 220 sites that they've got there. So it's a pretty good sized campground. And um, the prices are around $35 a night. I think in the summer, they've got a little bit of variable pricing. I looked back at our reservation, and I think um, the two sort of weekend nights that we had stayed there were $38 a night, and then the weekday night was $35 a night. So a little bit variable. But at this campground, as far as I can tell, um, that pricing is flat across the types of sites. And all of the sites have electric, um, either 50 or 50 amp electric service. Most of the sites are gravel, but there are a few I spotted that were paved. Um, And I think that if you want more detail on exactly which site you're going to get, if that really matters to you, you should call the campground because there's not um, super specific information that I could find on the website about that. Um, But within the campground, there are two restroom and shower buildings that were new and lovely, like nice enough that everybody commented, you know, when we rolled up into the campground and starting to go to the bathroom, like, wow, the bathrooms are really nice. The showers are really nice. And that's always so good, you know, in a beach camping situation, because you're going to want to get that sand off of you after you're at the beach. And for tent campers, it matters a lot. It matters a lot for us, for sure. And I think even with RV owners, you know, if you don't necessarily want to track all that into your RV to have a nice shower house right there. Very, very useful. Um, And the shower houses, the two of them are located centrally within the five loops. So you can easily get um, to any of them without any sort of ridiculous walk. And they do a really good job with the layout to avoid people walking through sites to get to the restroom. They had very clear paths that had mulch on them. Like this is where you go. Um, And it, it, was nice with our group with so many kids not to have to be really worried that our kids were going to be running around in people's sites when they're trying to get to the bathroom too. So I appreciated that. It's music to my ears when I hear that state parks are investing in their campgrounds for things like redoing bathrooms. Um, There's just so many states that have bathrooms that have not been redone in 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, we were in North South Lake in, in New York state and the bathrooms were just ancient. I mean, they feel Mm -hmm. like they were crumbling and it's kind of sad to me. So I just, you know, kudos to the state of Michigan uh, for putting the money in to redo the bathrooms and at $35 a night with that massive price leap to $38 on the (laughs) weekend, which is almost comical because like for private campgrounds, the dynamic pricing drives everybody crazy because the price can double on the weekends. The Mm -hmm. price can triple on the weekends, as crazy as that sounds. So it's it's so funny when the state parks are like, well, we'll we'll charge $3 more on Saturday night. Um, So anyway, anything else for the kids? Anything else we should know about the actual campground? So they say that there's a playground at the campground. And I suppose like technically there were two I would say play areas in the loop that we were on. Um, 
and one of them they're both they're both sand so plenty of room for digging and all that kind of thing and one of them had one of those like very old carousel type playground equipments that we all got thrown off of in the 80s and 90s that was just like decrepit and there were 25 children packed on it at all times and then the other sand play area had three swings so very very basic playground equipment um but honestly, it was just a place for the kids to go, and they did. And it kept them just as well entertained as perhaps a more elaborate and impressive playground structure was. So it worked out for our group. They did the bathrooms. Maybe they'll get to Maybe the, the playgrounds. Maybe the playgrounds are next. We'll see. <laughs> I love those oh, decrepit, I think was the word you used. I love those old playgrounds. Like I just love to show Max and Theo, like, that's what we had when we were kids. And they were dangerous, and they built character in all of us. And we loved them. <laughs> we did love them. We did love them. Now, what was the vibe um, being a tent camper there with with RVs there as well? Did you guys feel like there were more RVs or more tent campers? Did, did everybody get along? Everybody got along. Um, this was a new campground for this group that I go with, and it was more RV heavy than previous campgrounds we've been to in the past. And so, so some members of our group had things to say about that, but I thought it was a good mix of tent campers and RVers. And this is certainly a campground that um, anybody with, you know, most size of RV is not going to have a problem getting into. Most of the sites are back in, but we had a site across the way that had a large class A, you know, motorhome in it. And so, so um, for the RV crowd, it's very accessible, but it wasn't the parking lot vibe that can be so alienating to tent campers either. There were definitely um, more, you know, more privacy than you would expect for for some of that kind of situation. But we were lucky because one of the sites that we or two of the sites that we booked actually didn't have any trees between them at all. So that worked well for our group to be able to spread out. So it's kind of a variable mix. And you're probably going to want to look at the map um, and maybe call the campground if you have particular, you know, wants and needs for your individual site to figure out which one would be the best for you. Yeah, I think this is really known as an RV friendly state park. And you, you, you nailed it because you can fit larger RVs into here. You know, like so many state parks across the country were not designed for larger RVs. But I, I was watching a video on the state park before we recorded this, and it was somebody with a 42-foot fifth wheel saying mm -hmm. that they had no trouble getting in. They said they just took their time. They said they were even fine with the height of their RV. And so I think that this is a particularly RV-friendly state park, as it were. So not surprising you saw more RVs there for sure. And then I'm also like on the East Coast, anytime it's coastal camping, the sites are not as deeply wooded and not as private. It just mm -hmm. is a little more sandy, scrubby, wide open. Is that is that part of the dynamic here too? Is that you're close to the the shoreline and so the you know the forest, the woods, the trees are not as thick in the campground? Yeah, it could be. And you're not, you know, some of the Michigan and Wisconsin state parks, you're kind of up on a bluff above the lake. And this was not that. There's not a ton of elevation apart from the actual sand dunes on the beach. So yeah, I think in general, you know, some of the trees may have been smaller and the vegetation just sort of less impenetrable than it can get in the Midwest in the summer um, because of the sandier quality of the soil. So I, I think it's fair to say this is a great state park. Would you also say this is a great campground within the state park? Like when I think of Custer State Park, it's a great state park with great campgrounds. But then there are other state parks that are great and the campground's just fine. Uh, was this a great campground or, or just sort of adequate and really well located in an awesome state park? For me, I think the location was the real selling point of this campground. Um, being a 10-minute drive outside of South Haven, Michigan, this is really the ideal jumping-off point for kind of an all-inclusive classic Michigan camping trip. You've got the beach right there. You've got this lovely beach town. And then um, St. Joseph is is close by as well. So I would think of it really as a base camp for doing multiple great activities within the state of Michigan rather than just you know, an amazing place to go camp and do just that. And in the next segment, you're going to give us a lot of great recommendations um, for the, the towns nearby and places to eat, things to do, all of that stuff. Um, but before we do that, just wrapping it up here, anything that's, that could be improved, anything that was just not perfect about this campground, anything people should know about before they book a site? 
Uh, well, we talked about the playground, so that is definitely one thing um, that, that could use a little bit of updating. One sort of quirky fact about the state park is that it's right down the beach from an active nuclear power plant. Um, which you can you can walk all the way down to the beach and then you run into a fence that says sorry you can't go any farther because this is the power plant. Um, some members of our group found that a selling point. Uh, they like nuclear power plants and oh. enjoyed reading about it. Um, we're asking about tours and such. They do not offer tours, but um, just something to know, I guess, if you're if you're going. Is it like an eyesore in any way, or is it sort of? No, I mean, unless you walk down the beach, you're not even going to see it. You wouldn't know it was there. Um, But when you look it up on the map, you know, you're going to see a power plant right next door. So, All right, we're going to come back. We have lots of great information about South Haven and St. Joseph, two really classic Michigan beach towns, lots of recommendations for cool things to do. But before we come back, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Yogi Bear's Jellystone Park Camp Resorts. Our family has been staying at Jellystone Park locations for 12 years. There are more than 75 Jellystone Park locations across the United States and Canada, and each one is unique, but our kids love them all because each Jellystone Park location has fun attractions like pools, water slides, splash grounds, mini golf, laser tag, and jumping pillows. Plus, there are tons of activities all day and all night long, such as foam parties, dance parties, wagon rides tie-dye, and movie nights. They even have themed weekends like Chocolate Lovers Weekend, Christmas in July, and Halloween weekends in the fall. Of course, we can't forget the fun of hanging out with Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, and Cindy Bear. And at Jellystone Park, you can stay in your RV or enjoy one of their awesome glamping accommodations as many of their locations offer luxury cabins, yurts, covered wagons, and more. Make Jellystone Park a part of your family's vacation in 2023 because it's not just a campground. It's a Jellystone Park. To learn more and to book your vacation today, visit JellystonePark.com. That's JellystonePark.com. And please, don't forget to tell Yogi Bear that Jeremy and Stephanie said hello. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with our editor, Stephanie and I, with our editor from Sourcebooks, Anna Michaels, who's giving us a great review of Van Buren State Park Campground in South Haven, Michigan. We just walked through the campground, talked about the state park a bit. Now we're going to get into these two towns nearby, which are really just, to you, the highlight, right, of, of a trip here, even Definitely. more so than the campground, right? Mm-hmm. These, are, these are great towns. So why don't we dive into South Haven first? What should we do? Where should we go? Where should we eat? Give us all the fun stuff. Great. So I had never been to South Haven before this summer. This was our first trip. And it was one of those times when I was like, oh my gosh, this place is only two and a half hours from my house why have I not been here before? It's amazing. Um, So one thing that you should know is that Michigan blueberries in the summer are delicious and plenty of blueberry picking um, opportunities abound in this area. And some are even on the road from Van Buren State Park into South Haven. So what we did is we left the campground on our way into town, stopped and picked some blueberries um, and ate a bunch because it's just, you have to when you're in Michigan. I'm, I'm just thinking about eating blueberry pancakes and that's all I'm going to think about for the rest of this episode, I think. You're welcome. So definitely <laughs> oh stop on the way, get some blueberries. Um, and then once you get into town, you've got a wealth of activities and um, restaurants and shops to choose from. When we parked our car in town, which might be a little challenging, you might have to drive around a little bit to, to find parking. Um, it's all free, but it's mostly on the street. We parked in front of um, a woman's house and she was outside kind of cleaning off her front stoop and getting the kids out of the car. And we said, hey, you know, we're going to go have lunch. Where should we go? And immediately she was like, go to Admiral Jack's. You can sit right on the water and the kids can watch the boats and it'll be a great time. And she was 100% right. Um, I mean, I guess that you could, you could say that Admiral Jack's is a tourist trap or you could lean into it and say that it's an amazing experience for someone who is on vacation and wants some vibes on the water. <laughs> Stephanie has said for years that some tourist traps are, are tourist traps for a reason and they, they're good and they're worth eating at. I would absolutely go here and, and for the views as well. Yep, it was it was wonderful. So we got a table um, out on the deck right next to the water. There were all kinds of boats going um up and down the river to get out onto Lake 
Michigan. Everything from like a little inflatable raft thing to what looks like a massive pirate ship that you can actually take rides on. And so our kids were just, you know, captivated by by the boats, um, which was so nice. Um, had some drinks, had some food, met up with some friends. And then once you've had lunch, you know, either at Admiral Jack's or at one of the many, many restaurants that are in downtown South Haven, um, I would recommend hitting up the Michigan Maritime Museum. This is a really, really lovely museum um, in South Haven. They've got a bunch of really interesting exhibits about the history of, you know, boats and ships in the area. Obviously, being on Lake Michigan, South Haven originally was was built up as, you know, a town that was very much centered on the water. And in the museum, you can check out the exhibits. They have a really wonderful kids' activity room um, with toys and activities and just sort of stuff for the kids to do and chill out. And the museum offers several different boat tours that go either up and down the river or out onto Lake Michigan itself. Um, And our son was only old enough to go on one, so we took the Lindy Lou boat tour. Um, The Lindy Lou is an electric-powered replica river launch, so sort of a very narrow, thin boat that went up and down the river. Um, And that was a great experience with a guide, you know, or a a captain, I guess, who can tell you about what you're going to see as you're going up and down the river and and point out points of interest and give you some of the history of the boat and of of South Haven. Um, There's also the, the Friends Goodwill, which is the pirate ship that I mentioned. It's a replica 1810 top sail sloop. And I mean, this is the the boat that my kids wanted to go on, um, but I think there's an age limit of five or six. So I can just see that being such a fun family activity to hop on that pirate ship and, you know, have have sort of a make-believe afternoon while also some learning some history about that kind of amazing boat. So this is not just like a rainy day activity to go to this Michigan Maritime Museum. This is like a a top attraction in the area, Mm -hmm. no matter what the weather. And generally speaking, reasonably priced for these boat tours. Yeah, I mean, as far as that kind of thing goes, it's definitely something that you're you're gonna, you know, for a family of four, I think the the boat tour that we went on um, was probably in the range of $70, um, but well worth it, you know, for an hour out on the river and to, to get that kind of experience. They've also got um, a U.S. Coast Guard motor lifeboat that was built in 1941 that looked incredibly interesting. I would love to check that one out. Um, and another boat that is, uh, it's called the Maritime. It's a 1929 Chris Craft Cadet. So they've got a couple replicas, a couple actual historic vessels that you can ride on. Um, and I would say, you know, definitely number one activity to do in South Haven for something that's actually going to get you out on the water and experiencing that side of the culture of the town. So that's number one, not lighthouses. Not lighthouses, lighthouses for would me. be a, a, a close number two. So what do we have in terms of a lighthouse or lighthouses? Right. So there's a historic lighthouse in South Haven that's a short downhill walk from the downtown area out onto a long concrete pier. And just walking out onto the pier is kind of a fun experience because you're close to the lake, right? But you're not in it. And so you can see the waves. Sometimes if, if the wind is a little bit higher, the waves will wash up onto the pier. So you're going to want to be careful with kids and, and slippery concrete and everything. But this lighthouse was originally lit in 1872 and it's still operational. Um, The keeper's house is on the shore nearby and that was also built in 1872 but was transferred to the city for preservation in the year 2000 and now the Michigan Maritime Museum has renovated the keeper's house and it's a a research library now. So is is South Haven a a premier town on this entire stretch of, of Michigan coastline. I mean, this sounds pretty amazing to me. Is yeah, this def- one of definitely. The top? I think in the Chicago area, you know, a lot of people go to the Warren Dunes. A lot of people go out to South Haven. This is sort of, you know, within easy striking distance for us, kind of, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a bougie uh, weekend away to go to one of these Michigan towns and enjoy this kind of lifestyle. But at $35 a night at the campgrounds, you exactly. know, <laughs> very reasonable. Um, so what else do we need to know either about the lighthouse or just about South Haven in general? Also, too, I believe there's a bike path from Van Buren to South Haven. Now, it's not right around the corner by any stretch of the imagination, but if you're more active or have older kids, 
you could bike into town from the campground, right? Yes, you absolutely could. So that bike path is part of, um, it's actually another state park. It's the Van Buren Trail State Park. So that's kind of, that's like a linear state park that's centered around this multi-use bike path. And the entire path is 14 miles, but I believe the section that goes from Van Buren State Park into South Haven is about a four mile ride. So very accessible, um, even for a casual biker. And there are bike rentals available in the area. And if they allow e-bikes, that's nothing. That's an easy, easy ride into town, particularly if you're saying town's a little tough with the parking. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what else on South Haven before we talk St. Joseph? So there's also um, two beaches in South Haven, and my family did not visit the beach in town, but one of the other families we were camping with did, and she said that the advantage to the South Haven beaches over the Van Buren State Park beach is that the bottom is sandy all the way. So you don't have the rocks um, underneath your feet when you go out into the water. This beach is going to, you know, these beaches are going to be more crowded because they're in town. You know, they're a little bit smaller. Um, but if if being in a completely sandy environment is going to work better for you or you just want to, you know, take a little bit of time while you're in town to nip down to the beach and go out into the water, uh, the beaches are really nice and very accessible. Now, in terms of food and shopping, is it a very touristy town or does it have a lot of local flavor, arts, crafts, cool stores, independent stores? What's the kind of overall vibe of the shopping and dining? Yeah, I th- and this is kind of hard to describe because for me, this is like quintessential Midwestern tourist town. It's not Gatlinburg. You know, it's not mm. that sort of like glitzy, like over the top. Um, it's got a little bit more of a, a humble vibe. Um, lots of independent shops and restaurants. I saw several coffee places that looked really interesting. Lots of shops that are selling you know, kind of vaguely maritime themed decor, home items, furniture, um, art, that kind of stuff. Definitely clothing and bags, um, a, a wealth of different types of shops. If you're someone who just likes to sort of wander around downtown and pop into different places, which is my husband's like favorite activity on vacation. So he was in heaven here. Um, and there's also breweries, wineries, ice cream around every corner. Really a nice experience to walk around. So this is easily could be a week's vacation. This is not, I mean, obviously you could go for a weekend, but this would sustain a week's vacation for a family. Definitely. Oh yeah. And we have St. Joseph. So a little bit further away, what are some of the key things we want to check out in St. Joseph? So St. Joseph Joseph is about a 25 minute drive from Van Buren State Park. So not quite as easy a leap as, um, as South Haven. But when we were blueberry picking, I was sort of chatting with an older lady who was, who was there with her family. And she said, Oh, I'm from St. Joseph. Have you gone there? Are you going to take the kids to the, the museum? And I was like, Oh, I, I don't know. I don't think we're going into St. Joseph. I was not familiar with it at all, but, um, they've got an amazing pair of children's museums in St. Joseph, the Curious Kids Museum and Discovery Zone. Um, and these are classic museums, I guess, for people to take their kids to the, the first museum opened in 1989 and the Discovery Zone, um, is a separate location, which opened in 2010, but, interactive hands-on exhibits for kids, basically from one year old up to 10 or 12. Um, It looks like an incredibly popular place. We tried to get a reservation to go with our kids kind of on our way back home, and we couldn't because they have timed reservations and they were sold out. We couldn't buy them the day of. So if this is something that you're interested in, definitely go on the website, check their hours, check on the reservation system because it's not a place that you can just pop into because it's so popular. But that looks like an incredible addition, you know, to, to sort of a southwestern Michigan vacation for a family. That's a great tip. I mean, for things like that, I would not think to book in advance, to be quite honest with you. Um, So what else in St. Joseph? Like, what's the downtown like or what are the other highlights there? There's also um, a really interesting place in St. Joseph called the Silver Beach Center. And this is the site of the former Silver Beach Amusement Park, which was in operation for about 80 years before it closed in 1971. So it's a historic site. Um, They've got a museum on the property that you can learn about the former amusement park. And they have a replica of the historic carousel that was in the amusement park. And this might be the most beautiful carousel I've ever seen. It just looks amazing. It it looks like they've kept it um, incredibly well 
preserved and take really good care of it. Definitely a photo op and a fun ride for for kids when you're visiting St. Joseph. Um, and the museum for, for that is free, I should mention as well. So that's a, a good kind of budget-friendly alternative to a boat ride if that's not within the budget. Um, but St. Joseph, again, just like South Haven, very classic Michigan beach town. It has lighthouses. It has beaches in town, um, art museums, shops, restaurants. I think a very similar experience to South Haven, um, just a little bit farther south along the Michigan, Lake Michigan coast there. So did you just go there for, for one day? On, during your trip, and, we and just would... drove through on our way home because oh, it was on, on our way, way back. Yep, and when we couldn't when we couldn't get into the kids museum, we just decided to pack it in and head home. Um, but I would love to go back and get to check that out. Now, if somebody was doing a week's vacation at Van Buren, would you recommend like one day in St. Joseph, maybe two days in South Haven, that kind of thing? Yeah, uh, can... I think it's. I think it kind of depends on what you're into. I mean, definitely you're going to want to have a full day at the beach. You know, you're definitely going to want to spend at least one full day in South Haven and St. Joseph. Um, And what I didn't even mention as well is sort of the wealth of other outdoor activities that are in the area. Hiking, you know, kayak rentals, canoe rentals, all that kind of stuff could easily fill up another day on your trip. And for us, I feel like we had one full day in South Haven and we could have easily spent another there just just looking around some more. So I think the same could be said for St. Joseph as well. You, I'm sure you could spend two full days there and have plenty to do. Sounds amazing to me. Our trip to, to Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore was one of my favorite trips of all time. And I feel like I would really love to get back to Michigan for a trip like this as well. Um, we're going to come back in a second to wrap up the show with Anna. A couple more questions for her. But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Camco. Camco is one of our favorite companies in the outdoor recreation industry. For more than 50 years, they have remained a trusted North Carolina-based manufacturer specializing in innovative products for the RV, marine, outdoor living, and outdoor recreation markets. You may know them best by their American-made Rhino sewer hoses, Taste Pure water filters, EvoFlex drinking water hoses, and TST toilet chemicals. But their lineup of products doesn't end there. Camco continues to deliver products that bridge the gap between you and your next great adventure. From portable grills and campfires to ease lift hitches and power grip electrical adapters, they seem to be doing it all. There's a saying that if you own an RV, you are sure to own a Camco product or two. And it's true. We still use Camco products that we bought 12 years ago when we started RVing. This year, we are stocking up our new RV with go-to Camco products like their collapsible laundry basket and their life is better at the campsite dishes and mugs. Head to CampcoOutdoors.com to check out all of the cool stuff that Campco makes and get 10% off your entire order with our discount code RVATLAS10. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with Anna Michaels, who just gave us a great review of Van Buren State Park. And we also talked about South Haven and St. Joseph. Uh, so Anna, I know that you you know love to plan trips and you're always thinking ahead to the next camping trip. Like what's on your bucket list for, for, for tent camping, for, for travel in general, either in 2024 or, or beyond? What are those trips that you are just really wanting to take? So next year, the plan is for us to go back to Glacier National Park. Um, It's going to be me and my husband's 10th wedding anniversary next summer, and Glacier is our favorite national park. Um, So that was his request, was to go back there and and take our kids for the first time. So I'm going to be reviewing all your content, Jeremy, from your Glacier National Park trip, because you've been there more recently than I have. So that's pretty exciting. I loved doing doing those podcasts. I, I loved Glacier. And you know, if you were to ask me out of all the places we've gone back to, or we've gone to, like, where do I want to go back to? And Glacier is definitely top three for a return. I mean, Glacier absolutely deserves um, many return trips and not just one single trip. So um, take notes when you go. Okay. <laughs> take photos when you go. Now, is this, are you thinking tent camping for this trip? Are you yep, thinking this cabins? This be kind of our standard road, road trip with all our tent stuff in the back. Um, really looking forward to that. I would love to get out to California, um, do Yosemite, do some of those, you know, sort of classic California state and national parks to see the redwoods would be amazing. Those are definitely on my bucket list. Um, it's so far to drive. The logistics are just a little bit more challenging. And then um, 
for my, I, I enjoy a solo trip. And so for my own personal um, bucket list, I'm looking at a five or six day backpacking trip in Iceland. Um, oh my gosh. Which they, there's, it, it would be kind of like a, a small group guided tour situation, but there's an amazing trail where, um, you know, you go and you stay in little huts overnight. It's sort of like a hut to hut hiking situation in the highlands of Iceland, which is a part of the country that I haven't visited yet. So I'm trying to figure out when I might be able to squeeze that in because I'm a little bit obsessed with it right now. That inspires me. Iceland was at the top of the list for us pre-pandemic. We had bought the travel guides. We were doing the research. We even selfishly like had somebody on the podcast covering Iceland. Sometimes we do that, you know, like we want to go somewhere. Let's get somebody on the podcast. <laughs> and I, it, it hasn't like bounced back up to the top again. And I, I really want it to. Um, so again, would love to have you back on for Iceland. Now, we're, we'll be publishing another Where Should We Camp Next book this spring, and, and you are our editor once again, and it's Where Should We Camp Next Budget Camping. Now, you said this might be your favorite one so far, um, and I have to say to everybody listening, like, the Where Should We Camp Next books are, there's like a team here, right? This is like a team effort. Obviously, Stephanie and I are writing the books, but we've got our agent, we've got our editor, we've got the marketing people at Sourcebooks, so there's like a, a team behind the books. Um, and I was really excited when you said that this one might be your favorite. So, like, why is that? So the budget camping book, you know, selfishly aligns most with my style of camping. I think it's it's that state park, Army Corps of Engineer, you know, lower price point type of camping that I think is just really accessible. I mean, you you guys have talked a lot on the podcast about how prices have gone up and it's tough to get reservations. And that's definitely true, you know, and you see a lot of it online, people complaining about not being able to get into the Grand Canyon or go to Yellowstone and the crowds are so horrible and all this kind of stuff. So what budget camping does, the the, the Where Should We Camp Next budget camping book is show so effectively how many amazing options there are across our enormous, beautiful country for people who just want to get out into nature and see some cool things. Um, I think that the the diversity of the locations and the campgrounds that you included in the book is amazing. And there's no resource like this book anywhere. And it's incredibly valuable. And I'm I'm honored to have been a part of it. Yeah, I think that people are just have gotten a little sick of like a lot of the high pricing for both campgrounds and RVs, you know, and the pendulum always swings back the other way. And I'm, I'm hoping this book is sort of part of like a pendulum swing back to, you know, camping that is, is very affordable, which is, ha is how we started and really why we got into this whole thing in the first place, because we could travel more on our budget than, you know, in terms of flying or taking a cruise or whatever else. Now, Anna, you don't only uh, edit our books, you edit all kinds of amazing, awesome books at Sourcebooks, which is just a, a fantastic publisher. Give our nerdy bookish audience a couple book suggestions uh, from Sourcebooks authors. Definitely. And can I also come back on and do a books only podcast where I just do Anna's recommendations? Because I send you recommendations every Christmas time, Jeremy. And it's honestly one of my favorite like holiday traditions now. So yeah. So you. So for our our listeners, like you have a serious interest in great out, for lack of a better term, sort of great outdoors nonfiction uh, across the whole spectrum of mm -hmm. whether it's tent camping or hiking or backpacking. So yeah, you read broadly in that category. So that would actually make a very good, very good podcast. So yes, we, we we can totally do that. Um, Tell us something, you know, a couple things to read right now. Definitely. So on the nonfiction side, I have to recommend um, a wonderful author named Kate Moore, who has published two books with Sourcebooks. Her first book, The Radium Girls, was a massive bestseller. Um, if anyone hasn't read it, talk about a gripping story. Um, the Radium Girls is about the women who were painting like watch dials and airplane instruments with radium during the war. And the horrifying thing is that nobody, you know, well, people said they didn't know that radium was dangerous at that point. And so these women were being exposed to it constantly. They would actually lick the paintbrushes that they were dipping into the radium to get the points pointier so they could be more accurate with their painting. And then of course they started to get sick and die. Um, but the story is, it reads like a thriller and it's ultimately uplifting because the radium girls 
brought lawsuits against their employers and the radium companies and were able to prevail. You know, even though they lost their lives, they laid the groundwork for a whole host of really important, like, um, worker protection laws that exist and protect us all today. But the book is just a fantastic read. And Kate is um, an amazing writer. So everybody should definitely have her and her books on their radar. Um, I've also worked on a book that came out recently this year called Why We Need to Be Wild by Jessica Carew Craft, which is sort of more in the outdoor lifestyle vein. Um, And this author talks about basically how Paleolithic human knowledge is still relevant to our lives. Um, She was a wife and a mother living, you know, a very regular 21st century urban lifestyle. And then she started to get interested in the concept of rewilding or sort of going back to the traditional ways that humans a long, long time ago used to live and turning, you know, stones into tools and foraging for food. And foraging is definitely having um, its moment in popular culture right now. I think there's a lot of people who are really looking to connect with that more sort of natural side of human nature. this is a really interesting story of one woman who did that and kind of what she found, you know, when she stepped away from that 21st century lifestyle and, and tried to go back a little bit. So those, those are what I would recommend on the nonfiction side. Um, and I also run our crime fiction imprint. So I have to recommend a couple of mystery books as well. One of them is The Woman in the Library by Solari Gentle, which came out last year and is a book about books. If you're a reader, if you love books, you're going to want to read The Woman in the Library because it is an amazing story that starts with a very dramatic in- event in a library and then turns into a puzzle that you're going to have to unravel as you read your way through the story. And then finally, I will um, do a shout out to And There He Kept Her by Joshua Molling, um, which is a debut mystery novel that has just taken the crime fiction world by storm. Um, Josh is a Minnesota author, and I went to school in Minnesota, and I'm obviously from the Midwest. So he's just um, very much in the tradition of William Kent Kruger, an amazing Midwestern writer who brings characters to life on the page. And if you love Louise Penny, um, you're going to love Josh's writing as well. Guys, on the RV Atlas podcast, we do campground reviews, we do destinations, but we also give you great book recommendations. And just in, you know, early for the holidays too. So uh, those are some great picks if you're buying uh, books for gifts this holiday season. Anna, thank you so much for being our editor. Uh, we will definitely let you come back on the podcast if you keep publishing our books. Um, so let's we'll strike a deal on that if we can. Um, would love to have you back on again. Really appreciate the review of Van Buren State Park. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jeremy. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the RV Atlas. To find out more about the topics discussed on this show, head on over to thervatlas.com. And to join the friendliest group of RVers, head on over to the RV Atlas group on Facebook and make sure to join us on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at the RV Atlas. If you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And we will see you at the campground. See you at the campground.